Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Like I feel like tonight is a tonight is a turning point. So I hold it, heard the Holy Spirit say it's a turning point in um you know when you consider what the hosting team brought forward in preparation of entering into Shabbat and you think about a rainbow when they flash the light on that whatever that crystal thing is back there it made me think of a diamond and how diamonds are created by pressure and diamonds are multifaceted but in order to be multifaceted it means you got to be cut several different ways and when they were shining the light on that and all those colors that were on the wall the brilliance of what was demonstrated just reminded me of the work that Yahweh is doing they taught Missy talked about fourth dimension but we don't even, we don't we don't understand right now the brilliance of the work that Yahweh's doing the multifaceted work the tiny cut that he makes to bring out your full brilliance like we don't even understand what he's doing and when you talk about a rainbow in Noah there's an aspect that the magnitude of what he's doing not just in this season but tonight I want us to remember as mom lit the Shabbat candles that it's a representation of light in the dark. And even just light being shined on something is him doing his work. But when you talk about Noah, I feel like the sheer magnitude of what he's doing is when he built the ark and the flood came, the whole earth was different than it was before. Never to be the same. That's what he's doing in us. He's changing the landscape of your life. He's changing the landscape of your entire religion. Your entire concept of faith, God, Jesus. He's, he's changing the landscape of our entire paradigm. So if we have made the mistake to think that, yes, we receive the Father's voice, if we make the mistake that that isn't going to flood every aspect of our life and our mind and our spirit and our faith and our willpower and our mindsets, if we think he's not going to change everything, then we're foolish. And I feel like just in the spirit, what's coming forth tonight is a turning point for us to fully click into, okay, now we understand somewhat of the magnitude of what's happening and we're on board. Right, everything that the hosting team brought forth tonight, the demonstration, everything everybody's talking about, that we have no idea the brilliance of the work that he's doing. I feel like it's 360 dimensions of what he's doing. And so, as we get into our Torah portion tonight, um, I just wanna wanna honor Mom for being for being willing. <laughs>
just want to honor this woman for being willing to mother and and be a vessel of light to activate brilliance. You can be under pressure and you can be cut a thousand different ways, but you your brilliance could never be known if it wasn't for the light. So I just want to want to think about that as she lit the Shabbat candles and she's about to steward us through the uh, the Torah portions and and the teaching on that. Amen. I shared um, on Kingdom Heirs on uh, the on box, and I know that not everyone uh, is on there or will listen or have heard it, but I think I just want to I want to sum up a couple things before I just start moving into teaching on the Talit. Um One to just kind of preface my emotion. Um, but it the best the best way for me the best way for me to explain walking through these Torah portions, I want to give kind of two different perspectives. One the I'm in the same I'm in the same position as you guys are as we read each Torah portion. So there's this personal aspect of being in the Torah portion and in the same moment it's multidimensional because I'm called to mother this landscape. Yeah. And um and so I I just for for me I wanted to just kind of ex- explain that when he when he says I don't think we understand the brilliance of what he's doing and he's changing the landscape for me this week in particular every week it's happened but this week in particular I feel like like I'm being introduced to my father who I was told all these things about. The, the best way for me to explain it, the story that I gave or the analogy that I gave was as if I was adopted and I was told all these things about my biological father and then at a later time I'd be, I'm introduced to him and I'm freaking out because everything he's showing me is the complete opposite of what I was told the whole time. Um, like if, if I was told he doesn't care about you, um, he's whimsical, he's moody, uh, he's up and down, he didn't care for you, he didn't reach out, he never pursued you, right? like, mm-hmm. you, he's, he's scary, uh, you're, you're, it, it's a good thing you weren't raised by him because do you know who he was, like, yeah. he killed people, right, like, all this stuff, and then it's like I get introduced to the redemptive side of, uh, side of his character, and it's like I'm being reintroduced to a father, and I'm like, the expansion is like, like what? I, is that making sense? Yeah. It's like being reintroduced to the complete flip side of what we thought. But then, what's really wrecking me is that if if I if I knew who he if I thought I knew who he was, and I in a way avoided who he was because Yeshua was my savior, 
And then I've ultimately believed that my Savior pointed me away from the Father because he wasn't good. Yeah, right. right? I mean, we've talked about that, like that concept of like that, that dichotomy. Anyways, it's yeah. making me wonder if I'm being reintroduced to my father, then who was my big brother? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when he's talking about we don't understand the brilliance of the landscape that's changing, if he's taking us back to the original intent, because I'm going to just say it now, if we had any thought... You mean to tell me that we're going to have to be obedient to Yahweh? That's impossible. I am telling you, the way that I'm being like reintroduced to him, Yeshua is way harsher. Because the big brother comes in and goes, I came here to do my father's business, and all of you guys need to recognize that not only you, I can do it, you're going to do it, and you're going to do it greater. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you access to the original intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm recognizing that the Torah came as the instructions to be able to try to figure out sin. So when Yeshua comes and says, let me help you remember the original, you start to read the renewed covenant in a completely different light. And I I guess all I can say is that the landscape is completely changing, and I'm right there with you guys. And at the same time, also in a position to have to, to release from that place. And so there is this aspect of, I am the vessel that's putting the pressure. Yeah. Yahweh said, mm-hmm. "I my hand is going to yeah. put the pressure on to get you in the house, and I'm that voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an aspect of, of, of carrying that responsibility of being the one that, I, I said it on the box, when this light comes on, all it does is show what was already in the room. The light itself is not your enemy. The light itself, who he is, is not your enemy. If something is being lit up, that's your problem and my problem when it gets lit up and my whole world collapses because something got lit. It was, he's saying it was already in the room. Amen. He hits his grace and his love and his redemptive character that's saying, let me shine some things. Yeah. So when it feels like things are flipping upside down, because like I said on the box, we're not just shifting into a night season. We're shifting into a whole new skin. Yeah. I said it. I said it earlier. Biologically, every seven years, your cells completely regenerate. You have a completely new skin. We are stepping into another seven-year cycle where your entire skin is going to be different to carry what it is He wants us to have. Yeah. So we're not just shifting into a night season. We're shifting into an entire wine skin. And so, yeah. so does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he, he I, I don't want, I want us to focus on his redemptive character because it can feel like, ah! no, 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 don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> stop. Yeah. Yeah. The way it was was easier. No, yeah. I get that. Yeah. But it was already there. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just saying, I want my light on it. Yeah. So I don't want us to get thrown off track because this is very real. I've been saying it for weeks and I feel like there's this weird, eerie, like, why is she saying that? But there's this weird there's this weird thing that's going on. 
It's like Torah portion, kingdom heir story. Torah portion, kingdom heir story. Torah portion, kingdom heir story. The only thing that is causing the story to get exposed, upheavaled, uprooted, flipped over, upside down, is the Torah portions and the Torah portions alone. That's the only thing we started. Yeah. Was the spirit of the law. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I have permission to be able I have permission to be able to say a couple of things. I'm not getting into detail, but I just don't want to be lofty either and throw something out there and not be real. The week that we went over marriage was the week we were in triage because marriages blew up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute utter upside down chaos entered. Here's the thing. It didn't enter last week. The light shines on it last week. So if your marriage is blowing up or you're fighting or covenant is getting crazy or you don't want to be in covenant anymore or something's going on, it's because this week, it is like story after story after story, sibling after sibling after sibling. This, 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 I mean, we woke up to it this morning. I've got an entire textural I can expose in my household. <laughs> I have siblings going at it on text message at 6 a.m. to the point that Jalen had to leave the chat. <laughs> We're not exempt. I'm not speaking from a place. And I am thinking to myself, I'm like, you guys are on it. Sean and Kaya. You guys are on it. Don't be afraid of the explosion. It was already there. And Yahweh said, you want to deal with Cain and Abel? I'm going to show you Cain and Abel. Because you had a lofty, whimsical Old Testament story given Mm -hmm. to you in Bible class when you were 10. And you thought, that ain't me. I didn't murder. So then... You fast forward into Christianese and you're told by a pastor that murder is anger. And so you're like, okay, well, yeah, I'll deal with that because by his grace and by his stripes, I'm healed. And he's amazing and he's awesome. Well, if we used him for our own gain to just basically allow anger to be dormant, guess what's going to happen when the spirit of the law and the father shines his light on it and says, yeah, what you knew in salvation just covered up a whole lot of things. I'm after it. So if you're thinking, I haven't been dealing with anger in like eight years and all of a sudden you're angry. It's because you always like, let me shine my light on the root I want to untwist some things. I mean, we've been talking about uh, animals. We've been talking about separating the land. We've been talking about marriage roles, male and female, the origination of sin. We, I mean, we're, we're getting at it. And now tonight, we're only in the third one. And tonight, we're going to be talking about murder. We're going to be talking about one generation removed from it all. One generation removed from, I mean, we're going to get at it tonight, tonight, but is it, so Yahweh's like, you want, you want to deal with some generational stuff? Let me get you back to the chapter you thought you knew. And let me shine some light. So if it feels like I have not been dealing with, I thought I was delivered from that, or I haven't been dealing, I have never, why is this coming up now? Because Torah portion, because he's saying, yeah, that thing that you thought was dormant, murder in your heart. Yeah. 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 Unrighteousness or being holy or or not being holy or unrighteousness, I'm after that. 
and I'm after it in a real way. So I just, I want to throw that out there that when I'm saying like all of us or all of you guys, I think I've used those words, we're all losing our minds. I say that because I don't know how to explain the utter chaos that's going on. It's not necessarily everybody's losing their minds. It could be literally, I mean, it could be um, news has come forth that you didn't know before. It could be a doctor's report to uh, a relationship. It could be death. It could be, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It could be something internal. It could, there is, I could go down the list and every single family, big things are going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good things and bad things. Right. We're all we're all there's there's something. So when Missy's talking about don't be like, well, I'm the only one because because this is it's he's exposing. He's exposing some things. And I don't mean exposure in a bad way. All he's doing is shining light. And to me, I'm humbled by it because it's like I didn't ever know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean that's a humbling thing. I never, I never knew. Meaning, yeah. it's a humbling thing that he is allowing us to know. You know, like his is his goodness and his grace to say, let's go back to the beginning. I don't know. Yeah. And even just thinking about like just you don't, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make up Torah portion on this week, and you can't make up Rebecca's post and Ramos and 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 Anaya. You can't, you, yeah. I, I'm going to get into this, but the end of our Torah portion begins the seed of where this comes from. His redemptive, but we're not even in Noah. We still got two more weeks. We're not even in it. And he's already saying, please grab a hold of the promise. From the moment we started, he said, remember, yeah. there's, you're going somewhere. Remember that. This is to remember. Speaking of remembering, I'm going to get into the Talit teaching. I'm sorry, after party. <laughs> All right, Talit teaching. I wanted, I felt like we were supposed to stay. Remember, there's three attributes to the Talit. One, it's to remind us. Two, it's about authority. And three, it's about holiness. Those are the three attributes we're going to be going over until we feel like this is solidified. I feel like we're still in the attribute of remembering, which is significant because I didn't know necessarily about the rainbows when he told me about this. And that is remember my covenant. <clears throat> the tali and the tzitzit is, is an aspect of remembering who we are, who he is, and also then if I know who I am and I know who he is, then I have to know what's required of us. I have to know what's required of me. If I'm going to claim a relationship that I know him and I know myself, then there's going to be a requirement for me to be able to declare that, right? That's what the tzitzi is and the tali is. It's, a re it's to remind us of his commandments, just like the rainbow, okay? It's to remember that, that, um, that covenant. Um, I want us to remember in Genesis 1, remember when I said he created us so he has the right to make us look like him? Mm -hmm. He created us so he has a right to make us look like him. We were created in his image and it's his right to remind us that we are, we are to, to be his image. Yeah. Okay? The talit and being under the talit reminds us of who he is, who I am, and what's required of me so that I will look like him. It's to remember what is required so that I will walk like him. 
and look like him. Right? Hmm. So I want us to remember that it's to look at and remember his commandments. It means do and be holy. When you remember his commandments, it's not just so that you can memorize them. It's so you can know them, do them, and be holy. Because it's what sets you apart. We're going to get we're gonna get into that tonight. Well, I'm just going to get into it now. Ultimately, tonight, I, am, I want to, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that I can tie this all up. That love is the antidote to sin. Love is the antidote to murder. Love is the antidote to unrighteousness. And I'm not talking about love as an emotion. I'm not talking about love as a lofty concept. I'm not talking about a feeling. I am talking about love that is absolute and utter obedience. Love is doing his commandments. Amen. We have to, we, we, we've got to grasp this because if we don't, then we won't understand his character. We'll think his love is lofty. We'll think his love is moody. We'll think his love is on a whim of emotion. And it's yeah. not. He yeah. is a God of structure. Yeah. He is a God that will put things in order and he yeah. will separate things if they don't mix, just like in Genesis 1. He is a Yahweh of structure. Yeah. He is not flippant yeah. and, and moody. Okay. Yeah. He is obedient and he requires obedience. So... Actually, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to share a picture on Kingdom Heirs. If you don't have Kingdom Heirs, just borrow someone's phone and look at it. <clears throat> there are several times in the scripture where it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what I'm getting at tonight is that the titi is to remember his commandments because that is how we can love so I, I want to present one more concept when it comes time to remembering, and then I think next week we'll move into authority. I feel like we're at the place of authority. Um, I should have done this before we started, but Regina, do I have permission to share a little bit about your... You're not asking publicly means you can't say no, but I could do it in a way if you said no. Um, I, when I said that his, that the actual word for tzitzit means feather, and it's the closest thing to the scripture in Psalm 91 that says that I will be under his wing, it actually is the, the closest way to like a, a physical representation of being able to hold on to who he is. I want to give a picture of why that is. Because some of you might be like, well, this could represent Yahweh. And it can. I'm not saying it can't. And, 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 and you know what I mean? Do you, like we've had that, like a prayer cloth or uh, something that, you know, a Bible or something that gets passed down to you that you just, do you guys have that like in your secret time where you could just hold on to something? Because sometimes it just feels like I just need to, I mean, Megan has said that. Megan has said my entire, so, 
<laughs> Megan has said my entire life I've just wanted to grasp after him, and now I have his hands and feet as a mother and father, and so sometimes I just need you. Like sometimes I just need to like physically touch something. And so uh, the, this is where a talit can come in. And it, this is a representation because I want us to kind of understand this concept. Because remember when I told you Yeshua wore one? And I'm going to get into this when it comes time to authority. But before I get into authority, I want us to understand the intimacy side of it. Can you imagine Yahweh sends his son Yeshua and he wears a specific piece of clothing and it's his like okay let me just let me just explain this because this might not make sense Regina ordered a tallit as soon as we started teaching on it but she shared on Kingdom Heirs but she boxed me on the side and said, I don't want to bypass where this came from. And so I'm, I want to give it to you, to me, to... To just dwell with it. Because when I receive it, truth is coming through you. And so I want it to smell like you. And I want it to be with you. I want it to... And it was funny because I was getting lost for words. And she was like, do you feel like you have to like... I don't want you to feel like you have to perform or you have to pray over it or you have to do something. And I'm like weeping because I'm like, you don't want me to do anything. You want me to just be with it. Yeah. Because it's out of a place of intimacy. It, it completely transformed even my perspective on a talit that if his garment is what he wore, it was in the dark moments, the good moments, the best moments, the moments where he was fully man and had to remember yeah. that I am about my father's business. Yeah. He, it was, it, he wore it. It was his clothing. It was his garment. It wasn't just a... Uh, That's good. It was who he was, and he, and he didn't do anything with it. He didn't like go in his house and then be like, and then like walk around, and then people got healed. <laughs> he just wore it. He just was who he was in it. And so when when Regina's like, just be with it, sleep with it, get get yourself all over it. It was like making me realize the level of intimacy of what it represents that his garment could be that close to us, that what is it that he dwelled with? Like, that he that he, he, he literally lived in something, he dwelled in something, and we have access to remember who he is and that he followed the commandments and that he was about his father's business. He did it. Yeah, yeah. He is a living, walking, alive example of being able to do it, and we are to follow him. And then he gives us an, an example of, of, of one of the things that he did. So just thinking about how close something could be is to dwell under. So I just want us to recognize that when you're wearing a, a tallit, that it was on him. 
Um, it's been with him. And while it's been with him in private, it was made public. He wore it in and out of the house. Okay? He was close to his father. We know, we know this. He was about his father's business. And, and if he's our example, doesn't it kind of like bring to light what dwelling under the shadow of his wing could mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or holding his hand? Yeshua, teach me how you did this. He did this. And I'm just going to preface tonight. The Torah portion tonight is another foundational chapter as to why we need the Torah in the first place. This is setting the foundation. It is setting the tone of why his instructions are coming in the first place. So when we're talking about this and we're talking about the, the... Tzitzit and the Talit, and when it's being worn, it is holding on to his hand for dear life. Remind me of your instructions, because without them, holiness or murder is at stake. Yeah. Yeah. I am holding on to your hand for, teach me who you are, and teach me your ways, because without it, I'll get into it, I'll read Romans. Murder is in the same lineup as a bunch of stuff. I am holding on for dear life that I would choose righteousness and holiness and not and not unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. So as we walk into tonight, uh, well, we are just going to walk into tonight because I am already talking a lot. So I want us to prepare with that. So go ahead and grab your... Um, your elements, and then we will gather back together and do it uh, corporately. Um, and then Yvonne, if you want to grab your elements and come up here, you are you're reading the Torah portion tonight. Now the man had relations with Eve, his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, "I produced a man with Adonai." Then she gave birth again to his brother Abel. Abel became a shepherd of flocks while Cain became a worker of the ground. So it happened after some time that Cain brought an offering to the fruit of the fruit of the ground to Adonai, while Abel, he also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now Adonai looked favorably upon Abel and his offering, but upon Cain and his offering he did not look favorably. Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then Adonai said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, it will lift. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the doorway. Its desires for you, but you must master it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. While they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then Adonai said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? I don't know, he said. Am I my brother's keeper? Then he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So now cursed are you from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. As often as you work the ground, it will not yield its crops to you again. You will be an aimless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to Adonai, My iniquity is too great to bear, since you expelled me today from the face of the ground, and I must be hidden from your presence then I will be an aimless wanderer on the earth. 
Anyone who finds me will kill me. But Adonai said to him, In that case, anyone who kills Cain is to be avenged seven times over. So Adonai put a tav on Cain, so that anyone who found him would not strike him down. Then Adonai left then Cain left Adonai's presence and dwelt in the land of wandering, east of Eden. Cain was intimate with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. And he was building a city, and he named the city after the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was born Erad. Erad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Now Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of the first was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. Adah gave birth to Yuval, or sorry, Yuval, but was the pioneer of tent dwellers with livestock. His brother's name was Yuval. He was the pioneer of all who skillfully handle stringed instruments and wind instruments. Now Zillah also gave birth to Tuval Cain, the forger of every kind of bronze and iron tools. Tuval Cain's sister was Naama. Lamech, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. Lamech's wives, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for bruising me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth. For God has appointed me another seed in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son. He named him Enosh. Then people began to call him Adonai's name. So we're going to start with his body recognizing that we have separated him in the sense of grabbing his body to be able to give us access to be allowed to say what we're about to say like when we when we grab when we grab of this as individuals one one body grabbing individually and partaking, we're recognizing that we crushed him, separated him for the purpose of him allowing that to happen to give us access to say what we're about to say. So when you're ready, what we're going to say, and again, it's individual, to say out loud, this Torah portion is now written on my heart. What was once just on paper is being ingested and permeating through us. So we'll take the wine, the promised land wine. And this is the part where there's a reciprocation. That was his goodness that he gave his body for us to be able to ingest. This part is our part of being able to say, and as I drink of this, I am committing my vow back 
to the vows you already gave. That's what this gives us access to. So when you're ready, what we'll say is, it is finished. Um, I want to read something first to preface kind of everything. Um, I felt really led. You guys remember we're on a three-year plan. So there's a um, there's a, a half Torah, which is the, the prophecies. And um, anyways, there's other scriptures that go along with this Torah portion. But there's one that goes for all of Genesis 1 through 6. And so I just felt like since we're kind of right smack in the middle of this Torah portion, I kind of wanted to just read the half Torah. And I wanted, I, there was two things that were super significant that I want, I want to um, read for us to, I'm hoping that what this does is give us understanding um, to everything that I was talking about before. Um, and did that, did that make sense, what I said when I said, like, I've been asked as a vessel to be a part of that pressure? What I mean by that is that was, that's me being vulnerable, that, like, every week is getting super intense because I think I have, I don't even know, maybe up to ten people be like, what? You're, like, reading my mail, or that's what's going on with me, or were you in my room last night? Like, and, and, and so it, there's this aspect where I start to get insecure because of how alive it is that like I have to bring that word does that make sense so like if you know if we're an intimate family and something goes chaotic like the example that I gave and then it's like you want me to talk a male and female role (laughs) like I don't want to touch that I ain't touching that this week, you know, or whatever the situation may be. Or let's say two siblings are just going at it. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to talk to, I don't want to talk about that. But, but I got a schedule. (laughs) Like I can't be like, well, let's take a break. (laughs) So that's what I meant meant by that about being part of that pressure. And it's like, um, so I'm hoping that this will bring understanding. But Isaiah 42, nine. Specifically, I think I'm going to read eight. Uh, now I'll just start with nine. I'm just going to read nine. One, one scripture. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Pretty sure seven years ago, wineskin, that was like our mantra, and we were like, amen. Hmm. So, remember when I said nothing's new? It just gets exposed. So read it in that light. Behold, the former things have come to pass. The former things that were there have come to pass. (laughs) And now I declare new things. But look at the next sentence. Before they spring forth. Before it gets exposed. Mm -hmm. Before it comes about. Before they spring forth, I announce them to you. Mm-hmm. I want us to know as a family yeah. that we have been walking and preparing for everything that is coming. It may feel like, what? Or, what, what? I mean, it may feel like something different, but if you go back and listen to some of the sermons or the prophecies or the discussions that we were having, even two or three years ago, 
He was announcing yeah. your chaos yes. yeah. right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then we just, let me read verse 20. You have seen many things, but you do not pay attention. <laughs> Though ears are open, no one hears. He's saying, I announced these things before. Yeah. Yeah. I at least had to hold on to these scriptures when I'm like, I have to bring that word this week. And he's like, I announced this two years ago. Mm -hmm. You just weren't paying attention. <laughs> does, does, that make, does that make sense? Like, give us some insight. Like, if you think about some of the things that he's been pre preparing us for, he doesn't just do a new thing out of nowhere and you're like trying to play catch up. I mean, if you are, it's you have ears, you just haven't been paying attention. Yeah. yeah. He's saying, I announce it to you before yeah. it springs forth. Yeah. When there are things that happen, he has next, okay. Whatever is going on right now, he has next year in mind. Whatever's going on right now, he had it in mind last year. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one thing I want to just present, okay? This is an entire book. There's a lot of chapters. Cain and Abel are one. I, I, I want us to be aware that whatever, whatever he's putting pressure on, <clears throat> is one chapter. Mm. Let me, whatever, whatever the pressure is, whatever's going on, is one chapter of the entire story. And only Yahweh knows from the beginning to the end and all of it. I don't want us to be in the midst of one chapter and get in the weeds of that one chapter and think that that's the whole story, number one. Number two, don't think that you have the full perspective. Because we're going to get into it. Cain had a specific perspective, and I'm pretty sure he was operating out of one chapter because I highly doubt he knew that it was going to be talked about in 1 John when we're told not to be like Cain, mm -hmm. don't let the pressures of life allow you to be in 1800 chapters later, someone saying, don't be like Anya. Not really. We should all be like Anya. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to get at that tonight. We've got a choice. There's yeah. two ways to go. Yeah. You've got two different seeds to follow. By the Spirit, we're going to go over it tonight. Remember that. When you think of the chapters talking about you later on, don't get so haughty in one chapter that this is the only perspective when then there when there's a whole storyline. Yeah. And that's to me what Isaiah was speaking to me is like, you know, Cain and Abel, it's a crazy chapter, it's huge and it's foundational, but it's one chapter. For them though, can you imagine? That was their whole life. I mean, can you imagine one brother killing another? Especially to the mom? And then having to have another one? Like, like that would be her whole life. Yeah. But Yahweh is like, you are one part of the puzzle. You are one. Isn't, am I making sense? Yeah. It, it's like trying not to, um, 
let's not think so highly of ourselves that whatever pressure I'm going through, that I'm not only not only that I'm not the only one, but I'm also only it's only one chapter of a hundred. So I just want to preface that because this chapter gets intense when it comes time to tons of stuff. All right. Are you guys doing okay? All right. Genesis 4. There are three things I want to go over tonight. I am going to hit, hit on every single time I go over Torah portions. My heart is Yahweh has asked me focus on my redemptive character. I want my children to know about my redemptive character. And that is why I'm getting wrecked. Second concept of this chapter is all about worship. So we're going to talk about worship. Within worship, we're going to have two choices. We're going to go over those two choices. And we're really going to hone in on the choice of murder. Or what that choice will lead us to, uh, to murder, and then we're going to go over, we're going to go over that, okay? So, first, I'm going to start off with his redemptive character in just one. There's four things that I want us to pick up on. There's four different times in this chapter where his redemptive character is very loud. The first one, I'm not going to go over all of them all at once. I'm going to kind of intertwine it throughout the night, but I want to just start off with this. His redemptive character is so good. Verse one. Now the man knew Eve, and they had a baby. That right there shows his goodness. They just got kicked out of the garden, and he fulfills his promise immediately. They just got kicked out. All of that that we just studied last week had happened, and the first sentence is they had relations, and they were able to multiply he fulfilled his part of the promise that they were going to be able to be fruitful and multiply. That right there just starts off this entire chapter of craziness with his redemptive character. That he he stands by what he says. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Okay. So ultimately, this whole chapter, the first, last week was the chapter of introducing sin, and it was all about covenant, right? Because that's the foundation. This chapter really begins to show us how are these sinful people going to have a relationship with each other and with me. This is the chapter that shows that. So all of us can identify with last week's chapter. Covenant is, co- covenant is the foundation of all things, and that just shows right there the separation of how we view covenant. Then you move into the next chapter, and it immediately begins to ask the question, what does what does it look like to have a relationship with Yahweh in sin? This is a beautiful chapter for us. I mean, unless you guys were born righteous. Right? Yeah. This is this is this should be relative, is what I'm saying. Because it's so easy to step outside of that and be like, well, I was Cain, I don't know what his problem was. This is the chapter. That says, how are my people going to honor me and worship me and have a relationship with each other? Because they are a part of me, because they're made in my image. And how are they going to have a relationship with me after sin? So this, is, this, is, this is good. Okay. Um, we, we already know that last, the last chapter, we saw what happened. Doubt 
blame, hiding. Okay? Or you could say doubt, pride, I'm going to do it on my own. I know better. Now I'm going to blame and I'm going to hide. So with Yahweh, there was doubt. There was, I'm going to do it on my own. And I know better. And I ultimately want to be like God. I want, I want to be like him. Okay, this is a big thing. Then you move into what happens after they fall track to that. Blame and hiding. So you can kind of see like a pattern. All right. The next chapter, this I don't know why this is blowing my mind, but the next chapter is one generation later. One generation later. That's my kids. That's your kids. One generation later went from doubt, pride, I could do it on my own, blame, hiding, to pride, I could do it on my own, complacent, disobedience, murder. The complete disregard for life in one generation. One generation, the complete disregard for life. That either A, heightens you to want to walk holy, because if I have doubt, hear, hear me. If I have doubt, that leads to the next generation murdering one another. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is the epitome of, well, I don't even, you guys got it. Okay. I... Um, I think I'm going to start with worship, and the reason why is because I just want to give um, some some clues or some context to this chapter to just bring some revelation, then we'll go from there. But the first thing I just want to take note, as Yvonne was reading, and I'm sure as you guys read, you heard Enoch, you heard Lamech, you heard these names. The next chapter, you're going to hear a lot of the same names. They are not the same people. I, I'm assuming that you guys caught that, but I just want to make sure that the seed of Seth is different than the seed of Cain, and a lot of the names were the same. So Lamech, Lamech and uh, Enoch specifically stand out because those are big characters or big people in the next chapter. They are not the same people. Those ones came from Seth. These ones are all talking about Cain's generation. So I just want to make sure that we understand that. So here's just a couple of things that I want to um, that I want to uh, point out about worship is. Um, what this chapter teaches us is uh, our offering or our sacrifice. And, um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, I'm just going to sum up my ending so you can understand why I'm talking about it. But ultimately what I want to get at is that the, the definition of worship is how we walk our lives on a daily basis, which is how we honor and obey his commandments. That is the worship service. Amen. Our worship is not an event. It is not a moment. It is not a thing. It is not a one-time thing where you can fake it. It is the way you live your life day in and day out. And the only way you can judge the way you walk is to judge it against his instructions or else it's lofty. Even if you were to say, but I judge myself up against Galatians, that's fine. You're still up against commentary. Yeah, it's good. 
If you're judging yourself against a ruler that's in Romans, that's fine, but it's still a different author and it's still subject to commentary. So the only way that sin is defined is sin is defined. The definition of sin is not being a bad guy. The definition of sin is breaking his commandments. That is the definition of sin. Separation from him is not obeying his instructions. So the only way that you can rule yourself in an offering or worship is to live a daily life of living out his commandments. That is worship. All right? Mm -hmm. That's going to be kind of the end of of what I, I feel like he's showing us in this. And the reason why is because I want us to break down the lie that Cain and Abel were equal and that they had two offerings that were equal and Yahweh just picked one. I don't know what you were taught, but I was never taught what Cain was doing and I never was taught what Cain brought. I was never taught. I was taught two offerings. I was taught and, and Yahweh just disregarded one and picked Abel and that was his favorite. Can you imagine the life you've lived if your filter is he has favorites and he just lawfully, he just, I'm in the mood to pick Abel today. And what would have happened 1,800 chapters later if he just changed his mind? I know I sound crazy, but that is what we believed. We have not understood why he disregarded Cain. Well, we're going to put some responsibility on these sons. Yeah. Sound familiar? Yeah. I'm just subject to, he just didn't like my offering, and now I'm angry and offensive, and so now I'm going to kill my brother for it. Come on. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Instead of taking responsibility, what kind of offering did I bring in the first place that caused him to look away from it? We're going to get at some things. It's very empowering, right? Because then you're not just, I think it's empowering. It's hard because there's a requirement, but but it's empowering. Okay, so there's a couple things that I want to clue us in on. Um, Cain, it's, it's significant that, that the, that, it's revealed what they do with their life. Okay? Cain was the worker of the ground, and Abel dealt with the livestock. That right there tells you something, because if you remember chapter 3, what, which one was cursed, the animals or the ground? In chapter 3, you guys remember this? In chapter 3, when he deals with the son, when he deals with Adam, he goes through the whole woman thing and pain, when he looks at Adam, he said, the ground's cursed. Because of what you did, the ground's cursed. So you've got Cain, who's got to work the ground that's already cursed. I don't know how to explain this, but the way that I, this is my personal commentary, is that Cain would have had to be more intentional because he was called to be the worker of something that was cursed. So there was no, you could not afford to be complacent. Does that make make sense? Like, so he was the worker of the ground. Well, the ground was cursed, so he would have to be that much more intentional to reverse that. So that makes that much more responsibility on Kate. That's just my personal. That's my personal commentary. But when you move down, it says something very specific. It says um, it happened after some time, which is very interesting. People people will think, well, was this their first offering? Like just out of nowhere, they just decided I should probably produce a sacrifice for Yahweh. By the context of the of the chapter, 
you can tell that he had been teaching them how to do this. And I'm going to get into it because when he corrects them and he asks them about it, you knew, Cain knew what he had done. When you go further in the chapter, we'll get there. Cain knew what he had done. So that means he was taught. It's silent in the text. We don't hear Yahweh giving instructions to Adam and Eve on how to produce a sacrifice. And we don't hear instructions definitely on the next generation how to produce a sacrifice. But it doesn't mean that they were on their own trying to figure it out. This is what I'm trying to smash down. We've got to understand the context because then you'll believe this lie that you're just supposed to, without instruction and without any relationship, figure out how to perform perfectly. And then he's just going to judge you on whether or not you did it right. The context of the, co of the conversation afterwards shows that Cain knew exactly how to bring a sacrifice. They didn't just all of a sudden decide to bring a first fruit. Even though it's silent in the scripture, yeah. it's, 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 it's obvious when you read between the lines that something else was going on in their relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so they're, so, they're, so they're understanding this concept of worship. So um, it, it, it's interesting because in the, let me see if I can read it exactly. Um, so it happened after some time that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And that sounds like, okay. Like the fruit of the ground. But then read about his brother. He also brought the firstborn of his flock and their choice portions, the fat portions. To me, there's already a distinguishing factor here. I worked the ground and here's some fruit, some common. One of the words, if you read it in the Hebrew, is common. He brought whatever. He just brought the ground. He brought what he, he brought his job. He brought his work. He brought, he just brought, maybe it was the leftovers. I don't know, but it was common. His brother, there was intentionality behind it because he brought the first and the choicest. So right there, there's a distinguishing. Yahweh did not just be like, that looks good. He was holding regard to the one who brought the proper offering. So the responsibility now shifts. It's not Yahweh just being like, mm, I picked you. He was looking at, he was not, this is what's so amazing. He was not looking at their offering. I mean, he was, but it wasn't about, there, there's nothing in the scripture that says that livestock is greater than produce. We know that with Passover. We know that with Shavuot. And I'm not saying that there isn't something in that either, if you want to dig into it, because of course a blood offering, there's some stuff in that, but we're not, that's for another time. But it doesn't mean that the offering was one was better than the other. Like, well, he just got the lot of the ground and he got the livestock. It, uh, he was looking at the heart. He was looking at the intention. He was looking at the lifestyle. He was looking at the behind the scenes. He wasn't looking at the offering. He was looking at what brought the offering. This is what I mean by worship. It's not about a fake offering or a fake service that you could present once. Yeah. It's what was going on behind the offering that he was not regarding or regarding. Okay? There's also, I'll just throw this out there. I thought it was interesting that one was a worker of the ground and one was a shepherd. Does that make sense about the that he's looking beyond what's presented? He's looking at the how, the what, the why, and and and, and all of that. So um, let me let me say this. Where's Jacob? Like outside. He would just he would understand this because we talk about it all the time. But it was the difference between duty and devotion. Yeah. 
You had one brother who brought it out of duty. You had another that brought it out of devotion because of the intention about what was brought. Okay? So Yahweh doesn't even give it a look. He doesn't even give Cain's offering a look. And he holds Abel's with regard. And then, this is what I mean by the context, is that they did know what was going on. Was um, He says, uh, Cain became very angry. Adonai said, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do well, if you would have done it correctly, if you'll do what's right, right. Why would he say that if it was like, well, you know, you should have known, even though we've never talked before. Like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say, like, he, he's, it, the context of this correction is he doesn't even look at his offering, but then turns to him and says, wait a minute, why are you angry? Yeah. You came. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes my language, I just really, really. You, you, I just can see a father like you show up to the table half-assed, yeah. and you're angry with me. Yeah, that's really good. And I understand like that might be like, wow. I mean, why would a father speak to? Well, well, we can all relate, right? <laughs> I don't. I'm not the one to be like, oh, that was a cute offering. <laughs> Because then I'm not growing them in the way that they right. should go. I'm keeping them in their stuff, right? So, so he, so the context of all this is: if you do well, it will lift. Come on. You have a choice. If Come you on. will do well, yeah. if you will do well, yeah. it will lift. Amen. Why are you angry? It will lift. But if you do not do well, remember what we talked about last month? Last yeah. month, it felt like last month. Last week. <laughs> That sin is desiring you? It says, but if you do not do well, sin is crouching out the doorway. Its desire is for you. You have to master it. Yeah. The next sentence, he kills his brother. He what? Redemptive number two. His, he's not this father that's like, well, he just, you know, didn't look at my offering. He literally tells him how to change it. In his next breath, he doesn't regard the offering and then gives him the instructions of how to do it right. His redemptive character was immediate. If you do well, this will lift. If you don't, I am warning you, there is something after you. Oh, that's a good God. That's a good father. That is a redemptive father that is saying, look, I know this didn't work out for you, this offering. I mean, how many offerings were there? Probably one every day. You know what I mean? I know this didn't work out for you, but it's at your door. It will lift. And the next sentence. Cain spoke to his his brother super fast. While they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel and his brother killed him. I mean, it's like really, it's really fast. His instruction, really fast. His instruction, really fast. It was, I mean, sin was really crouching at the door. Okay, so these are words that I just want us to have in the back of our heads because I just think that they're powerful words. Uh, Yahweh is not our and is not deal in a in a um, capricious way. I want that to be broken down in us about Him. Remember, He is a God of order. All right, so. 
When I, when I talk about worship, there's, there's two choices in worship. We either have his prescription, which means his prescribed way of doing things, or we can invent our own modes. Okay, so those are our two choices. Righteousness is his ways. Unholiness, unrighteousness is inventing our own way. Yeah. I know that that's an easy amen in the moment, but like go home and give it five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True story. Yeah. His ways or my own ways. Okay. It is in our nature. Remember, we're only one generation out. I don't know how many generations I am. That was only one generation. It's crazy. It is in our nature to need to be God and believe that we are. And we're so arrogant, we'll prove it. Yep. <laughs> Cain was so arrogant that he thought that his offering was going to suffice. Then when it didn't work, he thought, well, I'm going to take it in my own hands, and I'm going to prove that I know better. So he, he, he dismisses life. Okay. What I mean by it's in our nature is it is in our nature, our sin nature, it is in our sin nature to shake off anything that shackles us to someone else because of our desire and our need to say, I know better and be on my own. When I say be on my own, meaning my ways, not his ways. My ways are better. Not understanding the scripture, his ways are better. His thoughts are higher. Right? It is in our sin nature to say, no, I do know. Right? Yeah. To the point that we will prove it and we will do anything we can to throw <clears throat> off anything that tethers us to a higher authority. Mm-hmm. And when I say higher authority, it, his hands and feet could be people too. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, I, I do, I want, I am I'm, I'm assuming that this is hitting us at a personal level, but I want to just make sure that I'm saying this because it's super easy to judge Cain. All right. One thing I want to honor Cain for is at least he knew that his offering wasn't regarded. I'm going to say it again. The one thing I want to honor Cain for was he at least knew that his offering was not regarded. What I mean by that is that we can take it to another level where we think we're doing Yahweh a favor by our offering and not even recognizing that he has not regarded it. And we are, we've not only done it by our own modes, but we will believe that because it's our modes, it's his modes and he loves it and not even recognizing that he hasn't regarded it. What I mean by our modes is we're neglecting his patterns. 
We don't know his character. We don't know his patterns. We don't know his ways. We're doing it on our own and then not recognizing that it's not even his patterns because we think our patterns are his patterns. This is a word for all of us. This is not a, why are you, why are you saying this to me? I, we are all in just chapter four. I'm talking about our entire lives. And I'm, I mean, even today, I'm just saying we're only in chapter four of being reintroduced to the authentic of what this all means. So does that, make sense? does that make sense what I'm saying? So if we're in the very beginning, if we're in, the ch in chapter four of being reintroduced, then all of us can say up until this point, it has been our own modes, you know? And we thought that it was favorable or, you know, anyway. But does it sound familiar where you, you know, you do, you know, you do something and then it's not looked upon favorably and then you're immediately offended and then you're, you know, angry and then it turns into to murder. And so that is what we are, un, that, that's what, what we're un, untwisting. Um, so I, I want to, we are just not going to get to the early church. <laughs> I even told him, I go, there's not as much in this one. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm going to read this. Uh, Romans 1. Because I want us to understand when I keep saying murder, I want us to understand murder. Yeah. Because it's easy to judge Cain and be like, well, I would never, I would never murder. Okay. Okay. Well. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I murdered this morning. <laughs> Where's Romans now? Okay, sorry. Uh, I want to read Romans um, 1.29. Honestly, guys, I really want you guys to take this home, you know, tomorrow morning in Shabbat. Romans 1, uh, uh, verse 29. But I really think the, sorry, I want to say it's 2.29. No, it's not. Romans 128. Anyways, I just, this first page of Romans, I could read this whole thing, but I'm only going to read the one scripture. Uh, verse 29, because yet all are guilty is the chapter that I'm in. So if we want to judge Cain, yet all are guilty. That, that's, the, the tie there is if Cain did this, yet all are guilty. How can I make this personal? How can I make this real? This is how you would make it real is read this. I mean, it goes on, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. I mean, he's talking about ungodliness and unrighteousness. We're talking about the seed of Abel and being righteous or the seed of Cain and being unrighteous. So if I have a choice in how I live my life, I want to be righteous. Well, he's giving us a blueprint. So I just want to put this in, in perspective. Because it, it talks about what happens when you, when you walk unrighteous. And the reason why I'm, I'm so bold about this is because if I'm being reintroduced, then what is unrighteousness? Yeah. And if I was so deceived that I was in righteousness the whole time, yep. Yep. that's like another whole layer, yeah. right? So, so this is talking about what happens about fools and, 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 and unrighteousness. And, and so anyways, and um, verse 29, they became filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, gossips, 
slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, evil, disobedient to parents. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This list is crazy. Disobedience to parents, that's like five minutes ago. It's in the same lineup as murder. There's no hierarchy. It's in the same lineup as murder. So when we're talking about getting, um, he doesn't look favorable upon our offerings, and then that, well, first of all, we operated complacent. Um, we operated, we didn't bring uh, the proper pattern of offering. We didn't put our heart into it. We brought something common, meaning of our lives. We were intentional. You could say it that way. And then Yahweh doesn't favor us. And then we're offended that we're not blessed and we're not favored. And then we get angry. And then we get boastful, malice, gossip, god haters, haughty, boastful. I'm going to do it. At, well, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him who's God. And then murder. Right? I mean, this, this isn't far removed from us is what I'm getting at. Okay? So I wanted to read that. And then um, the other scripture, I'm not going to read it, is 1 John 3. That's just where he basically is telling, he's telling everyone, don't be like Cain. Oh, I'm just going to read it. First John three eleven through twelve. For this is the message Well, now's our beginning. We should love one another. I'm gonna get to that. Get to that. Do not be like Cain who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil while his brothers were righteous. All right, we're going to move into Proverbs. Proverbs 29.10. Bloodthirsty people hate a man of integrity. And seek the soul of the upright. Bloodthirsty people hate a man of integrity and seek the soul of the upright. He's not just talking about hating. He's not just talking about murder. He's talking about what we murder. He's talking about what what is... Murder is after righteousness. Death is after righteousness. Evil seed is after good seed. Okay, so I want us. I, so that just points out the righteousness of Abel when 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 you're when you're looking at all this. And so when you're when you're thinking about the choice, the like meaning the concept of the two choices, that's the choice that you have to either be of evil seed or to be of righteous seed, man of integrity or bloodthirsty. I'm I'm trying to point out the the kind of the black and the white. It's either or. That's why he says, I'll spit it out if they're halfway. It, it, it's it's yeah. bloodthirsty and murder or it's righteousness. It's not kind of in the middle. Well, I'm like part righteous and like part killer. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, 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 your li- it's your life. And so just pointing out that it's not just about being angry, but it's about being angry at righteousness. Okay, go back to the beginning of what I said when I was going... <laughs> 
Yeah. We can get angry <clears throat> at righteousness <clears throat> because when he shines a light on something, it can provoke something. Make sure you know what you're not murdering. Make yeah. sure you. Because it's righteous, it's righteousness that he's after. And so remember when I said he is a God of structure and he'll separate. He's going to cause separation or is, or the pressure to get you into the house. And we'll, we'll, we can view his pressure or his separation as a negative. But his separation and his pressure is to get rid of unrighteousness to be able to bring in righteousness. But it's the unrighteousness that says, I don't want that truth and wants to snuff that out and, and not allow, and not allow the righteousness to come in. Because that's the that's the game point. That's the that's the that's the playing board. Yeah. That's the that's what that's our battle. Yeah. The battle is not flesh and blood. The battle is righteousness and unrighteousness. Yeah. In in me. Okay. So. So I just, I, I'm going to just hone in on what I already said at the beginning. What is worship? It is vague in scriptures. If you're trying to find, David Ellen, if you're trying to, I mean, you're not. But if you're trying to find a worship service and you're trying to seek out the scriptures on the best worship service, on how to have a worship <laughs> service, it is very vague. There are a couple things that it does say. Do things in decent and order. It does say. Like, there are some things that he kind of gives us some clues. But why is it vague? It's vague because he doesn't care. <laughs> He's, he's not saying don't get together and pray. He's not saying don't meet corporately. He's going to be getting into that. He's not saying don't, but it's not his focus. He cares about your life. He cares about what you're doing at night. He cares about what you're doing in the morning. He cares about Wednesday. He doesn't care about Friday night. He doesn't care about, right? He, that's not his focus. This is his focus, okay? So living out his commandments is where you can't fake holiness. We can fake holiness for years. But I mean you you cannot fake holiness in this family. We are way too intimate, way too close, way too connected, but isn't that a picture of Yahweh? Doesn't his kingdom want to be way too close, way too way too connected, way too uh to where we smell like him and look like him? Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. So you, you we can't fake it anymore. So he's giving us the instructions on this is what worship looks like is living out his commandments and it's 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 not for a moment but it's for for forever. It is the consistent life of faith seen in steady obedience to Yah is worship. Consistent life of faith in steady obedience. It's it's life's journey and we're walking it out. It's the real stuff. Um, and I sent that picture on kingdom heirs. But remember, to love him is to obey his commandments. So basically, to love him is to worship. Did you guys see it? Is it in there? To love him is to worship. To love him is to walk in his ways. To love him is to do right. To love him is to be righteous. You can fill it in however you want. It's no longer this lofty. To love him is to, well, if he chooses me. If he chooses me, then I'll love him. That's not what that says. If you love me, you'll be obedient. Yeah. And love is the antidote to murder. 
My point is, is that love is not love your brother, don't hate your brother. I'm saying be obedient to Yahweh and walk in his ways, walk in his patterns, and be righteous. And out of the overflow of a righteous life, your offering will be pleasing to Yahweh and you won't end up murdering because you have mastered the sin that is croaching at the door. That's the blueprint. I just gave you the blueprint. I'm not saying love your brother, don't hate. I'll repeat it again. Yeah. I'm not saying in a whimsical way, don't hate, love. Yeah. How you're not going to hate is you're going to be obedient to his patterns, his ways. Mm-hmm. There are patterns and there are ways. Yeah. There are fruits. Of this, there, are, there are patterns and there are ways. And there are, there are, he is a God of order. There are things that can sound righteous that are completely out of order. If it's out of order, it is not righteous. Mm-hmm. That is a false prophet. Yeah. This is going to give us so much insight because I, I feel like we've been we've 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 heard all these things and it's been kind of like at the whim of did that feel good or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's debrief yeah. that. Pro- I mean, I'm talking ten years ago, you guys. I'm not talking about right now, but I'm just saying like let's debrief that prophecy. It's easy. Look at his patterns. Look at his yeah. structure. The voice. I mean, the enemy knows the word. So you've got to look for his secrets in his structure and in his pattern and in his ways. We've talked about this. You can't just love him. You have to love his ways. That has been marked on our lives long, long time ago. You guys are nuts. You don't just know him. You know his ways. Knowing his ways and his structure and his pattern will give you the blueprint. And it's no longer this, I wonder how we do this. I don't know if I can repeat that blueprint again. But (laughs) you're not going to love your brother. You're going to be obedient to Yahweh, to his ways, and to his pattern. And through that, the overflow will not be murder, which will be love. Okay? All right. Quickly, I promised you guys four redemptive stories. We've gone through two. Remember, they they, they multiplied right away, and then he gave Cain instructions before he got too far. Two, okay? Number three, <laughs> he spares his life, and that was pretty cool. He put a tov on him. What's a tov? Mark of the covenant and a cross. Even in that, we're talking about evil seed. And he still spares his life. Pretty, I mean, that's a pretty redemptive character trait. Yeah. To full on disregard the image of Yahweh on earth. We can disregard the image of Yahweh in so many different ways, but on earth, let it be manifest on earth to take life, to no longer worship the creator, or uh, to no longer worship, uh, we've worshipped creation over worshipping the creator. Is that what, which means we've also hated creation. So then hating the creator, like remember how I talked about Genesis 1, like it's out of order. People will honor the livestock, but kill kids in a second. It's like we got everything flipped backwards. So the image of Yahweh is in Rebecca. The image of Yahweh is in Eric. The image of who Yahweh is, is in Jacob. The fullness of Ruach is in Tyler. To have the complete disregard for life is to completely, it's the it's the extreme of, of, of who he is. And my point is, he kills the image of Yahweh, and Yahweh still spares his life. That is a redemptive father. Yeah. 
He is a redemptive father before his sons. Mm-hmm. So for us that have thought he's not redemptive, but Yeshua is, yeah. he was redemptive before his son. His son can only be redemptive because he only seeks the character traits of Yahweh. He was redemptive before Yeshua. This light, this Torah is going to point us to Yeshua. And guess what Yeshua is going to do? And this is what I meant by Yeshua is harsher. Yeshua is going to point us back to Torah. Yeah. All of this should point us to, 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 to the ultimate redeemer, and the ultimate redeemer is going to point it back. You want to know where I got it from? We are learning what redemption looks like. This is, this is, this is good. Yeah. We are learning what redemption at its original state was, and it points to our redeemer. And the redeemer, when you meet him, not when have whatever. Don't yeah. take me literal. When you when you meet him, he's if when you when you met him, he whatever he is going to say. You want to know where I got it from? And he's going to point you right back. Yep. Okay. All right. Fourth redemption is the bloodline, and I, I just am going to quickly say this, and it's going to open up a big can of worms, and it's going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> About two, three generations in after Cain, we start seeing uh, offense, we see murder times 77, and we see two wives. So we have in a couple, so in the first generation, one generation, we've got murder. You keep going down the line of the genealogy to get to Lamech, and what you see is is no mention of any relationship with Yahweh. Each generation is getting farther and farther and farther and farther and farther away from Yahweh. And you can see it by some of the things that uh, Lamech tells his wives about, you know, I've killed somebody who bruised me. That's what I'm talking about offense. I killed somebody who bruised me. I killed somebody who hurt me. Like you're, you're seeing offense play out. You're seeing murder play out. And then randomly you've got in here uh, two wives come into play. Right? So all of a sudden, the institution of marriage becomes an institution to satisfy human desire instead of the original intent. Now, the reason why I say that this opens up a can of worms is because as we move into the Torah, we need to understand that when the Torah is written, it is his instructions to help us navigate sin nature, which is why, this is what I mean by a can of worms again, I'm being reintroduced to Yeshua as someone who is harsher. I'm like trying to figure out how many worms I should like pick out. What I mean by that is, is when we get into Exodus, there's going to be some laws and some instructions on how to handle multiple wives. That does not mean that it's commanded. It just means that there are some instructions on some things because he knows our hard hearts. It's not an endorsement. It's not an endorsement. Here's another example. In the Torah, it does not talk about pedophilia. That doesn't mean you're allowed to do that. That makes does that make sense? Okay. Let me. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because Yeshua is very clear. One man, one woman. Yahweh says, "Don't murder." Yeshua says, "I didn't even get into this tonight." Matthew five. Forgot to write that down. That was what started this whole thing. 
I'll have you guys read that on your own. Read Matthew 5 about murder. It says, you have murdered if. Okay, we're going to read it. That's fine. Why didn't I not write that down? That's what started this whole thing. Matthew 5. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be subject to uh, shall be subject to judgment. I am like, can I have Yahweh? <laughs> because he spared Cain's life, he gave instruction, and Yeshua comes on the scene. And he goes, yeah, he told you not to murder. I'm gonna amp it up a bit. Yeah. So that's why that's what I was talking about. So because when you read in uh, in um, in chapter 4, you start to see how things start to get wonky through the generations. <clears throat> and then Yeshua comes to give you access to the original intent. All right. So you see Cain's life. You can see it very briefly. It's just a couple of things. Uh, marriage gets dealt. Marriage gets talked about and murder gets talked about. The reason why I'm bringing up marriage and murder, which is Genesis 3 and 4, Covenant and offspring. It's kind of a hot topic in the in the scriptures. Covenant and offspring. <coughs> marriage and kids. Okay? Uh, the Torah, this is the foundation of why we need the Torah, is what I'm getting at. These two chapters show us why we need his instructions. His instructions deal with two things. Family. and high regard of human life. So when we understand the foundation of what the Torah is saying to us, we'll understand what he, what he was doing with his instructions by trying to um, bring back order to marriage and to high regard of life. Does that make sense? The reason why I'm pointing that out is because it starts in chapter 4 where you can start to see the generations, where there's just a couple of clues, where things get off. Right, you've got Genesis one, Adam and Eve, and all of a sudden in Genesis four, you've got like fourth generation from Cain's seed, and you've got things, you, you just got some stuff that gets introduced kind of like randomly, and so it sets the tone for the instructions to come, and those are the two things that the Torah deal, deals with, is family, and high regard for life. Okay, so the fourth redemption is the very last part of chapter four. Adam was intimate again with his wife. Kind of gets confusing. I'm sure you guys all caught it, but it gets confusing because it goes down a few generations from Cain. So we're like at great, 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 great grandkids at this point. And then all of a sudden Adam's having a kid. So it kind of gets confusing, like what we're, especially when they're using Enoch. Like if you just read the, the genealogy, you can get kind of like, eh, it doesn't matter. Just like the temple, it doesn't matter. It's purple, it's gold five cubic feet and you know what I mean you just kind of like skim over it all it all matters right so at the end Adam was intimate again she gave birth to a son she named him Seth for God has appointed me another seed in place of Abel since Cain killed him to Seth also was born a son he named him Enosh then people began to call on Adonai's name multiple generations grandchildren 
go farther and farther and farther away. And then it goes right back up to Adam and Eve, bearing another son to create a seed. And they began to cry out Adonai's name again. The point of that scripture is that they weren't crying out Adonai for all those years. His redemptive power is I will make a way. Abel had died. I am not going to let my people fall completely away to where they do not know who I am. I will not allow it. I will produce a plan. And his plan is mentioned. And then the stinking hosting team says, what about a rainbow? (laughs) This is the seed that we will be getting into in the next chapter that produces Noah. Noah comes from Seth. So his redemptive plan and his promise comes from the end of um, this uh, chapter. Amen. Amen. Megan, you go ahead. Wait. That doesn't make sense. To... We did have a, a conversation. We always, you know, he'll tell me what he's he's God, and I'll tell him what what I've got, and it's it's interest. It it's just it's just interesting. Um. I, I don't know how I don't know how this will go be, only because of the way that it's gone because I literally said this one doesn't have that much but I feel like there is such an untwisting of his character that is so needed and so necessary that I know that he is setting a platform for him to be able to release on what the early church was. And the the reason why I say that is because I can tell when I'm like, no, just, you know, you can go. And he's like, no, I can, he can feel it's not, we're not, not that we're not ready, but I, I don't know if I'm able to like, I don't know if I'm able to explain it. Um, let me, let me give an example. One of the things he was saying that he was studying was he was all excited and he comes in my room and he's like, you should read how synagogues are set up. And I'm like, what? And he's like, it's like this. They, they, they sit in three sides in order to induce discussion. So there's this thing that that's like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's like it's, um, he's untwisting some original things for us to be able to talk about those things. But it's like those things and understanding those things, I can see foundationally having to untwist some stuff. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Does that make yeah, sense? I don't. I don't want to introduce something else in between what you just taught and what I know, Megan. Not what I know you're gonna say, but I know you're gonna add to what she said for the family's sake. So I it doesn't make sense to introduce that for all the reasons you said. But it doesn't make sense to interrupt. It would be an interruption. Well, and I started off by saying that I didn't know how this was going to go because of the way that it's been. But I'm just wondering. He's just wanting us to sit then yeah. in, in Torah to be able to receive that. And so we'll be praying. Uh, we'll be praying about that because I because I don't I want him then because he's studying the Torah right along with me, but just focusing on another aspect. And so if we need to 
I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like if he needs to bring an aspect of the Torah, if that's what Yahweh is having us focus on, then it could go in that direction as well. If that makes sense. Well, that was a powerful way to end tonight and send us into next week. And when we talk about being sent from a place to a place, it isn't just for a time frame. Every part of this process is sending us into the rest of our lives and the rest of what it is that Yahweh has asked of us to carry that will be sustained by the generation that comes after. So what I heard at the very end of tonight for us to grab a hold of is his redemptive power says, I will make a way. Do we realize that we are Every single one of you, we are an expression of his redemption. Not just what will continue to be done or undone and rebuilt in your personal lives, but that we are a generation that is learning to cry out the name Adonai when there have been generations before that did not know how. I want us to be able to recognize that because there has to be a constant, a continual reminder of our responsibility as a transitionary family in the Remnant Bride. That his redemption is you. So while you're grappling for an understanding of his character, when mom says, can we focus on his character as a redemptive father, focus on his redemption, you are an expression of his redemption because he said, in response to the idolatry, in response to walking in paganism, in response to the misunderstanding and abuse of my name, the disregard of who and and why and how Yeshua, my son, who he was meant to be, the expression, the fullness of who he was for a people, that there has been generation after generation after generation who has not known, and you will get to experience my redemption and be that redemption unto generations to come. So it puts more weight, which also makes sense as to the pressure or the weight of his hand and why it is so heavy on us because of that responsibility, because of what you're called to carry, but it also puts more context and understanding as to why you have to find a renewed sense of strength moving forward to be able to endure that pressure 
Because you, not only as you understand his redemptive character in your personal story, but it is the word over you as a transitionary. Now, in order to see that through, you have to remember something else that was released tonight, that you continually have two choices. Not just tonight, not just moving into next week, but to be a generation that will walk out the expression of his redemption, you will have to continue to look those two choices in the face and decide, will it continue to be his way or will it be your way? And again and again and again and again, every day in and out, because that is how the redemption will come. If and when you choose for it to be his way every moment of every day of your life until your life ends, you will be confronted with his way or my way. And all we've known is our way. That it go it goes back to everything that Yahweh spoke, sending us into this time, meaning into this next wineskin, is I've created a foundation now for you to build on because the greatest lie was exposed, and now we're acknowledging, oh, even salvation was our way. Everything was in the context of a narrative. It was all man's way, our way, tradition, religion, generation after generation, becoming further and further and more separated from him to a point where we no longer know how to call on the name of Adonai. But in his redemptive nature, he set apart a people and a generation that is you, that is now, for this time, and he's asking you to choose his way over your own. That's the press, that's the pressure, and it's not going away. It can't. Unless you blow it out. But again, that's choosing your way. And he's entrusted us with that decision because we are trustworthy. We are a trustworthy people set apart for a time such as this. We appreciate everything released tonight and poured out in the house. Three weeks, you guys. This was the third week. Do you feel like your landscape is being completely changed? Yeah. The landscape of your life? (sighs) Completely changed. Okay. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. 
If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.